Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. Today we're going to be concluding a message that we began last time dealing with the account of Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the Sea of Galilee. You know, there's many great sermons that have been preached, gleaning many great spiritual truths from that passage. But today we're going to examine a little bit of a different angle. I hope that you enjoy the conclusion of this message entitled, Don't Jump Ship. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Here's Pastor Paul Blair. Jesus, sensing their fear, cried out and said, It is me, it is Jesus, be not afraid. Then Peter made this unusual statement. He said, Lord, if it be you, let me get out of the boat and walk to you. And gently, Jesus simply said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked to Jesus until he became distracted by the waves that were surrounding him. He took his eyes off of the Lord and he began to sink. And he cried out this simple prayer, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out and saved him. Now, there are a number of applications that we can draw from this story, many of which we have preached on before in this church. There is the application of truth that Jesus already knew how he was going to feed the 5,000. Yet what was his purpose? His purpose was to get the disciples to do all that they can do, not just to sit and rest and wait on the Lord, but to do the best that they could and that God would bless and multiply their efforts. There's the truth that God is a God of order and not a God of chaos as Jesus had the 5,000 sit in groups of 50 and groups of 100 in order to handle the crowd and efficiently feed them all without missing even one. There's the, the truth of the disciples growing in faith as they had traveled everywhere with Jesus, seeing Him overcome every obstacle and every challenge. There was nothing too hard for Him to handle. Yet now they were in a boat all by themselves as they were toiling in the midst of the storm. But what did they find out? That even though they were by themselves, they weren't alone. Jesus was always watching. And right there in the midst of the storm, He was actually, in fact, right alongside with them. There is the truth that, in fact, Jesus is God in the flesh and is not subject to natural law as He created the laws of nature. And not only does He exist within them, but He also exists outside them. There is the truth that although Peter was criticized for having little faith, he was the only one that got out of the boat and walked on the water. And there is the truth that Jesus had all the problems of the disciples underneath His feet and Peter had them also underneath His feet as long as His eyes were fixed on Jesus. But when He lost sight of Jesus and began to focus on His problems, they began to overwhelm Him. All of these are true. All are wonderful applications. But today we're going to look at something a little different in this story. In verse 22, the scripture says that Jesus constrained his disciples to get in the boat. Let me ask you a question. What was Jesus' will for his disciples? Get in the boat. Jesus was sending them to the other side of the lake, to the area of Bethsaida in Capernaum, where he would meet them later. Where did Jesus send them, and where did he intend to meet them? To the other side of the lake. How did he intend for them to get there? inside the boat. So let me ask you a question. 
in the midst of the storm, why did Peter want to get out of the boat? Folks, Peter was impetuous, sometimes speaking before thinking. However, I also believe that Peter had a problem of liking to draw attention to himself. Remember the last night of the Lord's life on this earth before his crucifixion. Jesus had made the statement that all the disciples would forsake him and flee. But Peter said, brashly, well, maybe the rest of these guys won't stand with you, but I'll never abandon you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows twice this evening, you, Peter, will deny me three times. Well, here was this group of disciples toiling in the midst of the sea, rowing with all their hearts for hours now, exhausted but obedient in this contrary wind, when Peter has the great idea to get out of the boat. Hey, Jesus had already said, be not afraid, it is I. Peter obviously believed that it was the Lord, otherwise he wouldn't have gotten out of the boat. Yet he still said, Lord, if it be you, then let me walk to you. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus had said, get in the boat. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus had said, go to the other side. No one said that the journey was going to be easy. No one said that the storms would not arise. No one said that the wind wouldn't be working against them. But the challenge for you, Christian, is in the midst of the storm, don't get out of the will of God. Don't jump ship. Peter said, or excuse me, Jesus said, get in the boat. Jesus said, go to the other side. Jesus said, in the midst of the storm, be not afraid, it is I. Peter then said, Lord, if it be with you, let me come to you. Sometimes we'll get into the midst of a storm and we'll come up with what we think is a good idea. And at the time, it it seems smart. But we best make sure that our idea is in the will of God. You say, Pastor, but Jesus said, Come, folks, God will allow us to learn things the hard way. God, God's ways always work. But if we make a decision to try to do things our own way, He won't stop us. He will allow us to be stubborn and hard-headed. And before long, after we've made a mess out of things, we'll cry out unto Him saying, Lord, save me. And the wonderful thing is that He will, but many times we get awfully wet in the process. Let me share just a few brief words of counsel this morning. In the midst of the storm, ladies and gentlemen, when times get tough, Christian, don't abandon your church family. We may be embarrassed because we're experiencing difficulties within our own families. We may be embarrassed because we're experiencing difficulties with our children, difficulties with our children, thinking that we're the only ones that have difficulties with our children. And pride gets in the way. We may be embarrassed because we run into some financial problems. And there are a lot of people that will be running into financial problems now and in the future. But folks, don't let pride cause you to get out of the boat. There's times where we may get mad at God and decide that we're not going to, we're going to teach Him a lesson by not coming to church. Friends, don't get out of the boat. Christian, the day may come where you're working so hard and you're so busy, you say, Sunday is my only day of rest. I'm going to skip church today. I'll watch Charles Stanley on television, and that'll be good enough. Folks, you'll first grow lax on attending Wednesday night. Then you'll grow lax on attending Sunday night. Then you'll grow lax on attending Sunday morning. You'll miss once, and then you'll miss again, and it'll get easier and easier and easier. Ladies and gentlemen, my Bible says that we have an adversary, the devil, who goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour and destroy. You need this fellowship of Christians in a good, solid church. 
Paul said to the Hebrews in Hebrews 10, verse 23 through 25, said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We just said a moment ago that the devil goes about like a roaring lion. Who does a lion attack? Does a lion charge into the middle of the herd and go after the strongest of the bunch? No. The lion lurks in the darkness of the shadows behind. And he waits for that straggler to grow weak and get separated and to start to wander off from the security and the safety of the herd. And that's the one that he attacks and devours. The Bible says that we need the fellowship of other believers. Ladies and gentlemen, we need time in the Scripture for growth and instruction. But we also need accountability. We need to look out for each other and to encourage each other and to provoke each other unto love and to good works. Without a strong church, there's not a single one of you that will make it. Myself included. I want to tell you, as so many of you know, it gets old having people write lies about you and write lies about your family and place threatening innuendos. But ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of the storm, I will not get out of the boat. You need this church. And you need to be here every time the doors are open. Not just for the preaching. You can get preaching on television, but you won't. You'll go home and you'll watch Charles Stanley one time and the next week you'll be watching... Uh, Fox News update or something. And you'll get out of the Word of God and that'll weaken your faith and you'll be susceptible for the devil to get a hold of you. You need this church not just for the teaching which you will get. We have got some of the best Sunday school teachers I have ever met. We preach the Bible on Sunday morning. We teach the Bible on Sunday night. We teach the Bible on Wednesday night. You need the Word of God. I need the Word of God. But in addition to that, we also need to look out for each other and to account to one another When we start to slip, you need a brother that's bold enough to come over and grab you around the neck and say, Hey, I love you. Let's go talk. I see some things in your life that shouldn't be there. You need need somebody that's going to encourage you and provoke you when you get out there in the storm. And you say, Boy, it's just not worth it. You need this church. Story of the old country preacher. He's visiting one of his members. Similar story. I've told you this before. It's great. But I just heard this particular account of it a week ago or so. I thought I'd share it country preacher out visiting one of his members that had began to slack off in attendance. And he went and visited him. This older gentleman let him in and greeted him warmly, fixed him a cup of coffee, and they went in and sat by the fireplace. Preacher didn't say a word. This other gentleman didn't say a word. He knew why the preacher was there, and the preacher knew why he was there. Preacher just took one of the fireplace tools and went over to the fire, stirred the coals around a little bit, and took one of the coals and just separated it from the rest of the fire. Then he sat down and drank his coffee. Not a word was said, but over the next few minutes, that one coal that was burning red hot turned stone cold black. Preacher finished his coffee, wished him a good day, got up to leave. That gentleman said, Preacher, that's the best message you've ever preached. I'll see you there on Sunday. (laughs) Folks, in the midst of the storm, don't jump ship. You need your church family. Folks, in the midst of the storm, don't abandon your family. Some want to withdraw into depression when things start going poorly. Some get angry all the time and take your anger at work home with you to your wife and to your children. 
We see some that respond to the circumstances that we're beginning to see happen in the United States of America with such hopelessness that they even take their own lives. Folks, the Bible says this, as Paul poured out his heart to the church, to the Hebrews, he said, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. What was Paul's definition for covetousness? His definition here was to be content with what God has blessed you with. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. What did Paul have? Paul had nothing. At one time, Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the 70 most important men of all Israel. But Paul, when he became a Christian, he lost his position, he lost his home, he lost his wealth, he lost his family. All Paul had was friends, and Paul had Jesus. And Paul said that that is enough for me. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to stop every day and count our blessings and not our burdens. When you look at your financial statement, your IRA that comes in uh, at the end of every month, rather than saying, oh dear, look at how much I've lost, you look at it and say, look at how much I still have. Praise the Lord. Did you eat today? Think about that. Be thankful. Do you have clothes to wear? Think about that. Be thankful. How is your health? Folks, I'm not going to begin to complain about my health. I don't like being having a gimpy knee, but I've got a leg. I'm thankful that I've got a leg I can hobble around on here. I praise the Lord for the health that I have. And before we start complaining every day, we need to stop and thank God for how good He is to us. Amen. Think about all the important things in your life, and you'll recognize what comes to the top. It's not your car. Somebody could come and buy your car. You may be forced to sell your car and you can get a junker. It's not your home. You may be forced to sell your home and you can get a trailer if you need to. How much would you take for your wife? How much would you take for your children? I'm not going to say how much would you take for your, your husband because I'm afraid my wife might stand up and say, make me an offer. <laughs> but think about the important things that we have. Ladies and gentlemen, we have our family. And we have the Lord. Man, when you come home every day, be the husband, be the father that God wants you to be. Love on your wife. Love on your children. We sit here and we take for granted tomorrow. We come home in a bad mood on Monday night thinking that we're going to have a Tuesday. There's no guarantees that we're going to have a Tuesday. You leave the work at the office and you come home and you spend joy how God has blessed you with that wife and those children that you have with whatever home that you have and you thank God for it. You revel in the joy of God's blessings. And sometimes, husbands, it's tough. You do come home and you want to bring home work with you. And sometimes you may have to work late into the evening at home. And wives understand. Or, you know, we've got working ladies in this congregation. I'd, if, that, if, the, if the situation was reversed, the same thing goes. But understand that your mate would rather be sitting in the living room visiting with his family or her family. Your mate doesn't want to be sitting there tied to a computer working on a project late into the night. But understand that sometimes those are necessities. And sometimes work has to be done. So husbands and wives, when you come home from work, don't bring your grumpy old burdens at home and dump them on your family. You've got the next day to deal with that. 
You come home and enjoy that family that God has blessed you with. And if there is a situation where your husband has to work late into the night, or wife, or husband, where your wife has to work late into the night, then you cut her or him some slack, and you encourage them rather than uh, belittle them, thinking that they are doing this by some choice of their own. Be the parent, be the husband, be the wife, be the son that God wants you to be. But also, ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of the storm, don't abandon God's standards. We so often, when things don't go our way, seek to compromise God's standards of morality. Sometimes we become impatient in dating. We believe that God is not acting fast enough to find us the mate, and we begin to take matters into our own hands. And what happens when we do that? Disaster. I have counseled ladies in their upper 70s that are widows seeking a man... And I have counseled teenagers that are in their late teens, almost 20, that believe they're old maids. And I have seen both rush out here in such desperation to land somebody that they get out of the scriptures where the Bible says don't be unequally yoked together and they settle for the first person they come across and they wind up in a bad marriage in an unhappy home. I promise you, you are far better off single than to be in a bad marriage. The scripture says to be unequally yoked together. You better be out looking for the godliest person and not just simply the one that fills out a skirt or fills out jeans well. Looks will fade. And you better be concerned about that inner beauty more than the exterior. You better be concerned that that person that you're thinking about dating or thinking about marriage or marry, marrying is one day going to be the father of your children or the mother of your children. Going to be your mate until death do you part. That one day that person you're dating is going to be sharing a bathroom with you. It's going to be sharing a house with you. It's going to be sharing a kitchen with you. It's going to be sharing a, a checkbook with you. And you better make sure that they're committed to Christ and submitted to the Lord so that their inner beauty exceeds their outer beauty. In the midst of the storm, ladies and gentlemen, don't get out of God's will. But that morality also extends to your business practices. Whether you're at home or whether you're at work. Times are going to get tough. Jobs will be lost in downsizing. How should that affect Christians? The Bible says that a Christian is not a men pleaser when he works. But he works as unto the Lord. The Christian should be the best worker in the business. The Christian should be the last one that that employer what has to lay off, and only at a time where he is so desperate that he has to make that cut. You do things the right way, you'll be the last one at the office to lose his or her job. At home, don't incur unnecessary debt. The Bible says that borrower becomes enslaved to the lender. Get out of all the debt that you can. I'd suggest that you read Dave Ramsey's book and start working on that debt snowball uh, making payments uh, in accelerated fashion towards your smallest debt first until you get it paid off and then rolling that payment into the next and get out of debt as quickly as you can. Live within your means. If you have never made a budget, I suggest that you go home and make a budget this afternoon. And you start with the things that are most important. The Lord on top. 
your home, your food, your bills, and then you'll work your way down into some of the extravagances. And when you know where every dollar goes, you'll be amazed at how much extra money you have to spend at the end of the month. You know, we waste money without even thinking about it. You'll make a cup of coffee at home rather than driving through Starbucks on your way to work. You spend $3.50 or $4 for a cup of coffee. You do that times five days a week. That's 20 bucks a week times 52 weeks a year. That's $1,000 a year that you could be saving that you don't even realize because it's trickling out 3 and $4 at a time. But folks, put yourself on a budget. You'll be amazed at how the money trickles through your fingers. Begin a savings account if you don't have one already and be aggressive in adding to it. Again, this is some of the information that you could get out of Ramsey's book, but I highly recommend it. His, his materials are Bible-based uh, recommendations. But ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of the storm, don't abandon your stewardship. You are a part of the body of Christ at Fairview Baptist Church. The Bible says that God has given gifts and talents to every man individually as he wills. You have a place of service here. There is a position that you have some interest in. There is a calling that, that will not be work to you, but that will be something that you actually enjoy being involved with that will serve the body of Christ. Don't forsake that calling. Now, folks, your job may change periodically, but don't ever stop serving the Lord. I began teaching an adult Sunday school class years ago at First Baptist Church in Edmond. I didn't want to teach it. They came and asked me. They had a bunch of sorry teachers anyway. I figured they needed some good teaching. <laughs> so I began teaching adult Sunday school. I came over here and was teaching adult Sunday school after my father's stroke. I was doing pulpit fill uh, here and there. When we hired a pastor to come in here full time, I taught the adult Sunday school. I didn't want to be the pastor. And, and while he was here, he said, Brother Paul, I need you to become our youth pastor. I'd never thought about being a youth pastor. I was happy teaching adults. I don't even like kids. <laughs> nah, just kidding. I have two of them. But I began in the, as the youth pastor. I didn't know how to be a youth pastor. I just spent a lot of time with them, tried to make the lessons fun. We tried to do fun stuff. We'd play games before class. We'd teach a good Bible lesson. We'd sing and do some other stuff. We'd do activities. Our class grew. We were over in that little bitty church next door. We had one room. That was the youth department. We went in and repainted it and did all sorts of stuff so that it became ours. We would had to go outside and play our games because we didn't have space to play inside. And we had, uh, we, we'd be running 18 to 20 on a Wednesday night with that little bitty old church over there. I didn't know how to be a youth pastor, but guess what? I wanted to teach adult Sunday school. God changed my calling, and I became the youth pastor. I was happy being the youth pastor, and God burdened my heart to become the pastor. Folks, don't stop serving the Lord. God might change where He wants you. However, never stop serving the Lord. Now, there may, let me say this, there may be a point in time where you get so overloaded with things that you have to, to, to pause from teaching Sunday school or, or from singing in the choir or something along those lines. But be careful that you don't make a change rashly. Don't get out of God's will in the midst of the storm. Our stewardship also includes our finances. And I've said this so often, but I'll say it again. God's not waiting on your contribution so he can make budget. He has managed for 6,000 years without getting into your pocket hardly once. However, as a Christian, 
We are supposed to give of our increase in obedience and recognition that it's all God's anyways. And it's God that has provided for us what we have and the ability that we have to earn it. Don't get out of God's will in the midst of the storm. I'm sure you've heard people say that they can't afford to give to the Lord. Church family, let me say this. You can't afford not to give to the Lord. Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, as he was there in the temple complex, and he saw some of these wealthy Pharisees come and giving their tithes and offerings, he wasn't the least bit impressed, but he saw this one widow in her poverty, still faithful and giving what she could. That he took note of. That church in Corinth, Paul was trying to encourage them to give a love offering to those that were struggling in the city of Jerusalem. And he talked about the Macedonian church, the church in Thessalonica, how generous that they had been. Not in their prosperity. They were severely persecuted. They were impoverished. Yet Paul noted their incredible generosity, giving not out of their surplus, but giving out of their need. Folks, God is capable of providing all of our needs. In the midst of the storm, don't get out of the boat. Don't abandon faithfulness in your stewardship. And lastly, in the midst of the storm, don't abandon your witness. The last thing that Paul, or that Jesus communicated to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, as he ascended into heaven, he said this, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria unto the uttermost part of the earth. Folks, God has chosen to use us as ambassadors for him, serving as witnesses unto the saving power of the Son of God. Not just to witness for him, but to bear witness unto the Lord. The greatest opportunity to shine for Christ is not in times of prosperity. Everybody's happy when things are going well. But the greatest opportunity to shine for Christ is in the midst of the storm. It was that church in Thessalonica that Paul complimented. And he said that their testimony reverberated, is what the word says, throughout all of Achaia and Macedonia. Because this group of pagans had given their hearts and lives to Christ, were severely persecuted, yet their testimony just increased under the persecution. Our greatest opportunity to bear witness of the power of Jesus Christ in you is in times of adversity in the midst of the storm. Jesus said, disciples, get in the boat. Jesus said, disciples, go to the other side. Yet in the midst of the storm, Peter wanted to get out of the boat. Hey, don't do it, Peter. Hey, stay in the boat. Hey, don't jump ship, Peter. The the Lord wants you to go to the other side. You're liable to get wet. Very short message, a very simple message, but a tremendous truth for all of us. Times where the waves are splashing over the deck and we're in the midst of the storm. Ladies and gentlemen, let's make sure that we don't jump ship, that we stay right in the middle of God's will. We thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word, and we look forward to being with you next time. Until then, may God bless you. 
You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.